welcome. Thank you for your time. Thank you, bro. Um, we have the only one, just DC. Tis I. Um, let's get started just by uh, telling the folks uh, your bit about your background and how you got into writing and production. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first, I grew up uh, just being a church musician, mm-hmm. playing in my, my home church, uh, which my grandfather was the pastor of. And so I started from there. I used to write little songs, mm-hmm. age like six, seven, stuff like that. Um, but then fast forward to when I started actually producing in like 2017, that's when um, I started actually getting more serious about writing and thinking about making it a career. Mm-hmm. I was in college uh, for graphic design, um, but I really liked just working with people and producing for other people. But as you know, it's hard to get people in the studio <laughs> to record. Uh, so I ended up having to do a lot of the recording myself. I got you. And so uh, that's when I really started like getting into more songwriting with my production, like 26. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Um, when you were getting into your songwriting at first, was it? how was that process, just getting into lyrics? Man, it was... Um, it was... It was... Difficult, I think, only because I, I've i always been more of just a music guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm all about the instrumentation and all that. And so the writing, trying to figure out, do I want to be vulnerable and speak on things that I'm ex- I've experienced or gone through? Or do I want to write from another perspective of looking, looking in from the outside or outside looking inside? Um, so at first, it was kind of difficult. Um, my cousin... Cameron Williams, who's a great artist mm-hmm. himself and a great writer, uh, I would make a lot of songs with him, and he kind of helped, like me, develop my writing and and understanding like how to tap into the vulnerable parts and writing from a perspective, you know, other than myself as well. I got you. Yeah. Um, what would you say is like the biggest key to being learning? Would for somebody okay. There's a better way to say it. If you had to go back and do it again, what would you say is like the key thing you would go for first as far as learning to be authentic as a writer? First, I think not to take yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. When I think back on it, that's really what the main problem was. Like I was just so like, want to seem deep to people. So when you're trying to figure out what you want to portray, you're already not being authentic. Mm-hmm. Because being you should be one of the easiest should be the easiest thing, but it's often more difficult. It's overthinking. It's over. <laughs> it's definitely overthinking. Overthinking, taking yourself too seriously, um, truly having fun with it. Like I said, I've always been much more inclined on the musical side, mm-hmm. and so that always fro- flowed freely. Um, and so, like you said, when it came to writing, I got in my head about it, which mm-hmm. slowed down you know, my process a lot. So, got yeah, you. overthinking and, and don't take it too seriously. Got you. Um, that's great. It seems like you more went around like pretty much trial by fire and more intuitive path rather than just focusing on technical things and trying to make technical creative, right? Yes, trial by fire is right. <laughs> <laughs> trial by fire is right, man. Yeah, and you get burned a little bit, but it, 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 it all, it's all just to help you get better. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? But yeah, I'm very much. That's just my personality, though. I'm gonna jump in it, and we're gonna see see where it goes. I got you. 
If it goes up in flames, then that's just how it goes. But oftentimes, it ends up going really well. Okay. Um, what was like the first project in where you really just got, where you felt like you were you then? Oh, man. Uh, okay, so then we'd have to fast forward from 2017 to 2020. Right? Oh, okay. So it's down in, down to the root. Down right the before root. it. Okay. Yeah. So right before so. Right before Down to the Root, which Down to the Root is my album, uh, came out in November of 2020. Earlier that year, um, the same guy I mentioned, Cameron Williams, um, he lives in LA mm-hmm. and he had a showcase happening and he was like, he was just telling me about it. Yes, yeah, me and my friends. And he went to a recording school out there and we're putting on a showcase, blah, blah, blah. And I told him, I was like, man, well, you know, I might come down to uh, just to come to the show and support. And um, he was like, well, you know, if you come down, I'm going to make you perform. <laughs> and so I'm like, man, whatever. Time goes by. We chop it up again. He's like, yeah, you still coming down? I'm like, yeah, that's the plan. He's like, okay, what you going to sing? And I'm like, man. So now I'm thinking about it. And I'm kind of getting a little excited about it. Like, okay, I'll get to perform. Mm-hmm. You know, like we, we talked off camera. I love live performance. And so I was like, man, I have a bunch of music. Mm-hmm. On my hard drive and a bunch of songs written um, that artists have not come to cut yet. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I'll cut them. And so I took five of the tracks that I like. Well, I took like six or seven. Finished writing whatever needed to be written, recorded it, and then put it out like in a month. And then I flew down to California <laughs> to do the performance. Um, but that's how that first project, which was called... Um, Man, I can't even remember the the oh good vibes. Good vibes was the title of mm-hmm. the of the project, but the first single actually was called "Treat You Right," and that's where it felt like like I finally stepped into my own mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, so early twenty twenty. So, what lessons do you think like played the biggest part on the way to that? Man, um, nothing too specific. Uh, the main thing was. I was doing a lot of I was doing a lot of it. Mm-hmm. so a lot of writing. Like I had I had a bunch of songs. Like mm-hmm. I said, I only chose about six or seven that I ended up really really holding on to. And then of course the project only has five. Mm-hmm. But um, same as I said earlier, stop overthinking, um, and also um, just being being courageous enough to put it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's it's easy to play it for your friends on the phone or, or mom or whoever when it's, it's just on your hard drive. But actually playing it for like putting it out on platforms and stuff is different. But as far as like getting the courage, man, it was just repetition. I was writing so much at the time. How many songs would you say you got done in a month during that period? Uh, Well, for that month, I just focused on those. I meant like seven. leading up to that. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Like when you were in your volume stage. Oh. At least 30? Ooh. 30 songs a month? You was a you was a machine. Given, given, again, with the trial by fire, figuring it out, right? All of them weren't first verse chorus, second verse bridge. You know what I'm saying? Some mm-hmm. might just been a verse and a chorus. I got you. Or might just be a hook one week. So More so you got like chunks of what a song could be absolutely like together full out songs so because I, you were writing for artists to come and complete 
Exactly, exactly. So I was just starting ideas and giving them room to do their thing. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, let me not say thirty full songs a month. But like but, that's still a lot of material. Absolutely. No, I was just really. It was twenty twenty, so we was in the house. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so uh, I took that time, and especially you know, fortunately, the job that I was working at the time uh, paid like the first couple of months during the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, even though we couldn't go into the office. So I was able to still you know, financially be responsible while taking the time to figure out this whole writing game. Mm, I got you. Yeah. I would say, yeah, like that that volume stage is probably pretty good. Um, did you ever do that before? Or is that just a factor of the circumstances? Strictly on the circumstances. I understand. Like I was I was now making tracks. Mm-hmm. I don't even, I couldn't even give you a number a month, like how much I, I was making at the time. Because um, mm. I was just, I was on a roll. Like a day, I could easily do like five. And now that would be full tracks. Like mm. not even just like an eight bar. It'd be fleshed bar out. It'd be fleshed out. Um, but for the writing, no, that was strictly because of the circumstances. Writing, like I said, it was kind of intimidating because I didn't know. I, I struggled to like find my footing. I understand. I would consider like producing tracks, writing as well. Um, okay. Okay. What 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 makes a, cl- a complete track to you? Ooh, good question. Um, I would have to say when many people struggle with like overproducing, mm-hmm. that moment when the groove feels right, and you clearly when you just listen to the track, you feel a beginning. A middle and an end. Mm-hmm. When the track tells a story in itself, it's done. Which is why sometimes, yeah, I would just make a verse and a chorus, and that'll be it. And it might be a little outro that fades out um, for like an interlude or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, really, it's about the feel when you first hit play to whenever the song ends. Um, and if you don't feel like it has a strong ending, well, then you're not done. <laughs> not done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I would say. For me, a track. If I if I play it and then I feel like I want to listen to it again, <laughs> that's it. That's the one. I just had that ex- that 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 experience last night. But when you when you make something, and you be like, okay, I gotta run that back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's yeah. You've done it. Do you have like a standard process for the tracks you make? Since you've done so many, like things you repeat most of the time. Uh, a real basic one. Um, I don't always start or or finish the same, but the the same tools are always used, mm-hmm. um, which I have templates loaded up in Logic of what I like. So, MPC, Live, um, of course, like I said, Logic, mm-hmm. and then my software instruments that I like in Logic, like the Arturia Collection is something that I've really been messing with lately, Native Instruments, of course, stuff like that. I got you. But it could start anywhere. You know, it could mm-hmm. be... I'm definitely more, um, what's the term, melodically driven as mm-hmm. opposed to rhythmically. So oftentimes I have a, med- a melody in my head that I just play on any instrument. Mm-hmm. And then if it fits, it fits. If I need to find another one, cool. But, you know, then start building the rhythm section and pull the bass out if I need to or do synth bass. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really approach music making uh from a curiosity standpoint 
I got as you. opposed to like, I'm already going to do this. Like, I'll start with one idea and then we'll just see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got you. Um, when like a lot of people, when they get into like that high volume phase, mm-hmm. um, they more so start standardizing things. It's really more so for people who do work for higher stuff. Right. So just so they can maintain the quality. But sometimes if they're, sometimes creativity can suffer when, um, when you over standardize things. Um, but that's a, that is a challenge. I'm glad you don't have to deal with that. Yeah. So like I did, and I want to get back into it with the, the sync placements. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're doing that type of stuff, you do kind of need mm-hmm. more of a, yeah. a, a, a stricter. That, but there's a different goal there. It's like more of a standard goal. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, but for when I'm just creating like actual songs that I feel mm-hmm. go to an artist or for myself. Yeah, it's strictly just a curiosity standpoint. I got you. Um, how do you come up with your harmonies? Vocal, instrument, doesn't matter. Uh, church has a lot to do with it. <laughs> I'm a church boy. Um, so hearing just a lot of those older gospel chords is a huge influence for me. Um, you know, I grew up listening to Fred Hammond and John P. Key and uh the winings and commissioned and mm-hmm. on the R&B side I grew up listening to Boys to Men and Jagged Edge and Brian McKnight and so just hearing harmonies all my life harmony is a very natural mm-hmm. uh thing that I add to my my production so um I just uh again it's from a curiosity standpoint how many stacks do you need I I really like to stack especially mm-hmm. vocals um and so harmony is always something that came easy to me. My like, family sings, so we <laughs> singing like together. So, yeah, that's innate. Okay. Um, so you said you're melodically driven. Harmony yeah. comes natural to you. Did you ever struggle with like the rhythm and the drums? Uh, my struggle with the rhythm was more so like, the creative aspect of just doing doing something outside of basic grooves, basic grooves, right? You know, trying to come up with some things that were interesting, and and that moved rhythmically more so than just like a strict tempo based groove. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, but the MPC actually helped me come up with that because again, just being curious, you be tactile with it. Yeah, like when especially I had to get the MPC because. Bro, I just hated like working in the computer for a minute. Like it was just a lot. Like I was I just didn't like staring at it for too long and sitting down. Just clicking, dragging. Just clicking. I never clicked and dragged too much. So I would be playing it like on the MIDI keyboard yeah. or whatever. But it just doesn't feel it, right. It, it's not it's a bit off. It wasn't meant for that. You know what I'm saying? So once I found out that the NPC was like, you know, well, once I found out they made the live, which mm-hmm. you know, they made the X, the live, and then the one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put like the computer functionality in it too. I mm-hmm. was like, okay, this is kind of fly. So when I bought that, yeah, that changed the game. I got you. Um, so how do you approach drums then, or just the groove in general? Fortunately, groove. Um, being a bass player primarily, mm-hmm. I'm having pretty strong sense of groove. And being able to play with a lot of good drummers is key. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I'll teach you some things. 
a bunch of things. Um, like Daniel Gaiden, who's a phenomenal drummer, mm -hmm. is constantly like, I mean, on the spot, coming up with things that I've never heard, like just hitting certain things certain ways or or his timing of, of things. Mm -hmm. uh, James Johnson, a bunch of local Chicago cats um, that I've had the, the chance to play with and or just hear play. Mm -hmm. That's been like a huge inspiration for me. Like, okay, when I come back to the studio, I can try to approach that, how Daniel did it or whatever, you know, so. Okay, well, that just brings up two questions. Okay. Uh First one is like how has like just playing with people influenced you in the studio and when you're writing, and also have you back just to the groove question. What kind of philosophy have you developed so far as far as like making your groove? You know, answer any order you want. Um. Well, first the just I think playing with people mm -hmm. is probably the most priceless education you can get as far as developing your musicianship mm -hmm. or as if you're just a producer even that because being a producer you are a musician mm -hmm. um, and so getting out learning an instrument and then playing said instrument with other people uh it's an exchange of energy of emotion and and you're naturally um digesting their methods or their styles you mm -hmm. know what i'm saying and so it's the same of like when you you're you're a culmination of everything that you you take in so just like whatever you listen to as a child that that develops in you like you were saying you know i, I could tell you grew up on 90s and 2000s r&b and it's like well yeah you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's osmosis it's it, absolutely absolutely so um playing with people is an extremely important aspect that I think everybody should experience. If you are a mm -hmm. music maker, you should experience that. Well, music ain't made in a vacuum. Exactly. It's made with people. And you can tell. You can tell when when people come out to like jam sessions, and you could tell like the bedroom players, mm -hmm. like the ones that have grown up and they just played by themselves, and this is their first time because maybe they're not listening too well to mm -hmm. how everything fits together, or they only have a very limited amount of chops—not even chops, but a limited amount of. I think it's like a feel. Like you can you you can you can make a feel by yourself, but you got when you're playing with people, you got to like this push and pull. Absolutely, you have to. You have to. You be technically proficient. You could be ripping at home, but you know, you got to be able to work it without with people. Yeah, yes, you have to provide the context. So that's an invaluable uh, experience. As far as like my my uh, the way that I conduct like making a groove is I do really like to start with bass mm -hmm. um and you gotta you gotta figure out what the goal is am i trying to get people to dance mm. am i trying to get people to uh you know partake in in uh adult festivities you know am yeah. i trying to get people to fall in love what's the what's the end goal and right. that describes okay how how do i approach this groove you know is it up tempo is it is it strictly time locked on the grid or mm -hmm. is it loose you know all of those things so really again coming from a place of curiosity is what purpose does this song serve mm -hmm. and then you 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 trust your gut that you you've heard or felt those feelings before and you say okay i can i can reproduce that mm -hmm. you know to, to the best of my ability i got you that's cool that is actually great um, 
again, you said the music side always came natural. To, well, it came natural first. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a great explanation of it. Um, when you were writing lyrics, how did you ever like kind of make? How would you make the lyrics and the track fit together? Because I think that's an not is an underappreciated part of like just writing and production. Yeah, like what like as far as like the emotion of the lyrics and the emotion of the track. Oh, okay. Well, so it's kind of like I think this is how a lot of people get, especially in today's time, how a lot of people have the problem of overproducing a track. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing the term counter melody a lot lately. And so it's where like somebody might have, let's just say, a synth line. Playing. Mm-hmm. And then they're saying, oh, I need a counter melody on top of that. Well, already, once you have two different melodies, it makes it hard for the vocal to blend. Because mm-hmm. you already have whatever the the, the, the pad or underneath is. Mm-hmm. Now you have two separate melodies. Now whoever's singing is going to add a melody. So you either have to double one that's already there or recreate another one, which I think is too much. Oftentimes too much. Um, so me personally, I definitely use the voice like an instrument. So I try sometimes uh i get a little excited but i try to make the track as simple as possible um meaning as few instruments as possible Mm -hmm. and then that already creates the space for the vocal so when i write now i'm thinking of the voice as multiple instruments because it's carrying melody but it also is carrying rhythm so how do i want to what cadence you know feels best with the groove that's set also what melodies fit in context with the rest of the song Mm -hmm. um so basically it's just it's it's how do i create a lane for each thing where you can you can pinpoint with your ears anything you want whether it's what i'm saying Mm -hmm. or what's being played and nothing is like losing its shine Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so when it comes to writing with the track it's trying to stay out of the way of other instruments so that the the vocal has room to to shine. I got you. Um, have you ever had to kind of juggle that along with co-writing? I'm fortunately I don't have any <laughs> I don't have any bad co-writing experiences. Usually it's it's is I've been working with like really cool people that mm-hmm. you know understand the give and take as I do too, and and we just go back and forth until we figure out. What serves the song best? I got you. Well, let's just let's talk about the good experiences then. Great. Um, well, I mean, one of the cool things is uh, when you have multiple writers. Of course, there's different perspectives. Mm-hmm. You you so you learn a lot. It's oftentimes like a therapy session, depending on what you're writing about. <laughs> um, and uh, I just enjoy. I've always enjoyed collabing. Like even when I used mm-hmm. to be in school and stuff, I used to love that. Um, and so like when it comes to writing songs, especially when you find somebody that you already got like chemistry with, mm-hmm. this is just a good time. It's just like jamming on, on your instruments. Got you. Yeah. Um, well, how do you approach being a good collaborator then? Keeping your ego in check. <laughs> well, first leave it at the door. Yeah. Yeah. Except I think, I think. You, you need to bring enough personality. Don't leave the personality with the ego. Your ego isn't bad. Your ego is what separation. Now, having it out of check is what when you think I'm more important than someone else, 
mm-hmm. that's when it becomes an issue. But my ego, um, even the definition of it, because I had to look this up at one point. Um, but your ego is what just is 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 your personality. Well, not your personality, but it's what separates you. You know, it's your it's your um, identifier. Now, when people have it, like I said, out of out of check, and you think, oh, what I'm doing is way more important than what you're doing, just because I'm I'm better at this or I'm this or that. You know what I'm saying? That's when it gets hairy. So keeping my ego in check, which fortunately I was raised by good people that. Uh, didn't let that get out of hand as a kid mm-hmm. anyway. Um, being a really good listener, which is the most important aspect in music. If you if you make music, you have to be a good listener and being a good communicator. So being able to communicate exactly what I'm thinking uh, in the in the most efficient way possible, mm-hmm. you know. And then uh, just having a mutual respect for the person. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you don't. If you don't enjoy working with the people that you're working with, it's not going to, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so choosing, uh, being very, I guess, picky, you can use for who you cho- who you work with. Right. You know, making sure that they're good people, that you all get along and everything else falls in line. I got you. Um, how did you develop your communication skills then for as far as like working with musicians, writers, producers? Um, I have a grandmother who's a, a therapist and a mother who's a social worker and an uncle who's a psychologist and a grandfather who's a pastor. So you could kind of say you just that was a lot in that sentence. <laughs> um, yeah, I was born this way. It was in my blood, bro. What you mean? <laughs> it was in the house, baby. Like it, it was real. It was it in was your real. food. Listen, we uh, communication is is was huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, honestly, um, I've always, I was, well, I used to be really quiet and shy or whatever when I was mm-hmm. really little. Um, and then as I grew, I, I just kind of grew out of that. But just, um, like I said, being a good listener, musicians, we should be the best listeners. Mm-hmm. And so growing up playing, I think honestly, being a musician helped a lot, being able to pick up on cues without things necessarily being said or mm-hmm. just the way something feels. So I've always been that type of uh I just always been that type of person that I've always been listening and, and paid attention till I lose interest. Then I might I might uh daydream a little bit. <laughs> but um no it it was just fortunately that's just been one of the gifts that God gave me is being a good communicator. Naturally. Well that's great. Hold on a second. Battery's gonna die. Got. Oh, you need this. Uh, yeah, we can um, we'll call it and wrap out. The habit of misplacing things. Same, bro. I don't know how much stuff I've left at like rehearsal studios. Mm-hmm. I know, like, and they lost and found. It's tons of my stuff. Chargers. <laughs> uh, like I don't even know. Headphones. Tons of crap. All right. And so I can just think of the. I don't have a slate, so you know. Gotta Hands work. <laughs> Hands work. Yeah, I just need something percussive. Mm-hmm. Um, have so let's talk about uh some of your projects then. Um, oh. I did like very much enjoy down to the root. Thank you, bro. Um, since that wasn't the first project where you fairly felt like you won, then what went into what went into that? Down to the root. Yeah, I want to know. Give me all the deets. Well, the so like I said, I did that first project good vibes 
just to go have something to perform mm-hmm. in LA. And um the second strain of like COVID had just came out. Mm-hmm. This was 2021. Um and so we didn't get to do the performance. Instead, there was a small jam session and you had to get checked and stuff like that. But anyway, mm-hmm. so it was just a good time. It was a good trip. And uh came back and you know, I felt good about the responses that were happening on Good Vibes. So then naturally I'm a very I'm a very easily excited excitable person. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'm making an album. <laughs> that was just that was the the origin of it. So then I took a bunch of the other tracks that I had already made and you know, certain things that I had written for for certain tracks, and I got to work and that was uh July, I think when I came back from LA. All so right. from July to October, I was just in the studio writing other things with tracks that I had already made. I made a couple of new tracks and stuff like that. But um, it was cool, man, still figuring things out, you mm-hmm. know, still trying to find my footing or whatever as an artist. Because, again, that's not something that I really ever wanted to be. I just wanted to produce for other people. So now working on more songs. This one was nine songs. Um, but no, it's a project that I I still like going back and listening to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, seeing the growth from then to now. Um, but it was a cool, it was a cool experience just making it. I got you. Uh, was there, a, did you kind of preconceive a vision for it before you really got into the weeds of making it? Or you more so discovered it as you were writing? I had, I did have a, a like a preconceived notion of what I wanted it to be. It didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> it did not work out. Uh, just because it was, I, when you, when I put the confinements that I did have on the project. Confinements? Yeah, as far as like, I wanted it to be, I, I had it down to like, I want it to be what I want it to be like tempo wise, what I want it to be like. I was really like specific on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so when I put those those restrictions, I guess, on what I could do, it kind of got boring really quick. So the mm-hmm. first two months, like I said, July, July and August, I was kind of stressing, like trying to make what I thought I wanted in my head. You had a jigsaw puzzle. Absolutely. But it was it was like having a jigsaw puzzle where like you keep throwing in some extra pieces every once in a while from another one. <laughs> like when you turn around, somebody threw like three extra ones and you're like, where'd you come from? Where, where did you come from? You know what I'm saying? I'm supposed to be making the ocean. You don't got the Sears Tower in here. So that was one thing. So then I had to get rid of that thought process and I went right back to the just discovering and playing around and being curious. Mm-hmm. And then it started flowing smoothly. You got again. back into your bag. Exactly, bro. So, um, but yeah, once I once I got rid of all of that and started just actually caring about the music and like seeing what would come of it. You let the weeds get too get too deep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know what I'm saying? So it was uh it was cool. It was still a fun experience. And I mm-hmm. I was doing it for both projects. All my anything that I have out um has been done all by me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um so that was interesting too, trying to learn how to like mix and stuff at the time because I had yeah. no training on that, mm-hmm. you know, trying to learn what it is. It was just a fun, fun thing. The discovery process. Absolutely. Well, you did say you're a curious person. You said I it am. multiple times. <laughs> so Indeed I am. 
Um, so what do you have coming up? Oh, really cool stuff. I've been doing a lot of live playing lately mm -hmm. uh, behind other people. I'm primarily a bass player. And so um, I've been able to see how other people are conducting their shows. And I'm looking forward to doing my own live shows, hopefully at the top of next year. Mm -hmm. uh, I still got to get some rehearsals together. I've already got the the guys who I want. You know, shout out to, like I mentioned earlier, Daniel Gaiden, um, my friend Zach on keys, and Josh Robertson. I'm sure you know Josh on guitar. I'm yeah. sure you've seen yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. If you don't recognize you'll recognize him. I see, I've heard him play. He's a... Yeah. He's summoned something. He's 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 a character. Uh, and so, um, live shows coming up. Um, also, I plan on releasing... I'm trying to decide if it's just a single or an EP on Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. Maybe like a little four track something, you know, a little R&B something for the people on Valentine's Day. But either way, I will be releasing either a single or an EP on Valentine's Day. I got you. You got some any details you can share about it or no? Yeah, man. So the the project is going to be called Love is Enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, concept just came from you got songs like what's love got to do with it and stuff like that and, and i've heard a lot of people especially now man it's 2023 i don't know if you are you married or, or in a relationship no i am do not uh, need that right now <laughs> 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 i do not need that right now okay i'm in a similar situation i'm, I'm trying to stay stay out of trouble um and but there's so much i think when i hear like different friends talk mm -hmm. about dating right now and i hear all these crazy stories uh man it's such a dark it's some foolishness it's foolishness bro so like uh like i think it's it's tainting people's perspective on like what love or the possibilities of love and things mm -hmm. like that and uh hopefully i can i can i can restore a little bit of goodness to that with this next project so the next project will be called love is enough uh, like I said, I might do like a little small Love is Enough EP mm -hmm. for for uh, Valentine's Day 2024. But yeah, man, um, I already got a few tracks. One of the tracks is out. Um, okay. That will be on that called Pure Love. Mm -hmm. um, and that's out everywhere. Um, but yeah, we'll just, that's pretty much it. We're just taking it as, as it comes, mm -hmm. step by step. I got you. All right. Well, one last question. Um it's kind of like a thing for R&B singers, uh, but is love like a central like theme for your artistry? Do you see it being for that way for the length of your career? Yeah, it's it's my um, I think it's it's my calling. I got you. I feel like I grew up, like I said, I grew up in church, and when I was a kid, I don't know about you. Well, you said you grew up in church in culture. Yeah. Um, I know when I was coming up. Anything outside of gospel music was you, you, you'll be on your way to hell. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Shout out to the home church. <laughs> but uh, you know, this <laughs> yeah. is just a fact, bro. Like they, yeah. hey. Well, first of all, anything other than gospel music was called the blues. They would say, "Oh, so and so singing the blues." It could be a pop song. It was just called the blues because they that was just what they thought. And I remember being a kid and like hearing them talk about this, and of course. 
I grew up hearing it, you know, either at school or sometimes mom would play some. She mm-hmm. wouldn't really play too much, actually. But she would play like Boys to Men every once in a while or whoever. Um, and this music that I loved, I was hearing people talk about it. And I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand the the reprimand that you're passing out. <laughs> you know? And so. Some chicanery. Being, you say what? There's some chicanery. Absolutely. Yes. You know, so me being being. Uh, and that, and now being able to to uh, make my own music, bro, and like I still like 